Okay, is everyone ready? Amen, amen. God is what? God is... Four people said it. I am... um, I'm always really amazed at the sovereignty of God. And I think we have to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is sovereign. That simply means that when he's ready to do something in the earth and he's ready to do something in somebody's life, he really does not ask for your permission. He really really don't. And when you consider... um, how God radically changes people's lives and the things that he does, especially when humanity counts you out, family counts you out. And all of a sudden God says, yep, that's the one I'm getting ready to use. And, 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 and I love it when God flexes his big old powerful loving sovereign muscles in your life. Because when he gets through flexing his muscles in your life, people go like, boy, I know that was God. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been God in that for that one. Anybody that maybe have been you, somebody said that about you, when you guys say, that must be God. Because when you really think about it, what it comes down to is that everything in our lives is reflected, supposed to bring glory to the Father. Everything. You know? And so I'm always amazed at, man, and I, you know, I got saved at age eight, and here I'm 57. And, man, you think I would have seen it all, heard it all as it relates to God. But, man, as they say in the country, look at here. (laughs) When they talked about eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man. You know, and people, I hate when people just stop right there because we're like, well, then I can't ever see it and, and I can't ever know it. He says, no, but. He says, but it is being revealed by his spirit. So that means whatever the eye hadn't seen, the ear hadn't heard, God says, I'm going to reveal it to you. And he is not done with a lot of you in here tonight. He is not done. Amen? Well, let's just go before the Lord. Father, we thank you. And we humbly submit ourselves to your, to your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to the context of your word. Speak to us tonight. I submit my mouth as a vessel, a mouthpiece for you. Holy Spirit, speak those things that the Father wants us to know. And I render myself under your power. We thank you for what you always have done in your place, in your house. And God, when we leave this place, every time we gaze into your word, we look at the beauty and the majesty of the Father. And the submission, submitted love of Jesus Christ all the way unto death. And it is a picture and reminder of us of how we should remain committed to what Christ has committed in us. And we thank you and we love you. Do your perfect work tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, if you've ever seen the movie The Book of John you will know that this part of Jesus' life, it is a long discourse. It is, uh, how many of you ever seen the gospel according to John, the movie, okay? And that final hour of Jesus' life, the final few days of his life, you know, he begins to speak some very, very heartfelt things to his disciples. 
in, in chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, you can just see, and it's just, you know, if you got one of those Bibles that Jesus is speaking, it's got red all through those chapters, red letters all through those chapters, because Jesus realized that his disciples is in a very, very perplexing situation in their mind and in their heart. And you can just hear it in what he's telling them. It doesn't focus on what they're saying as much as the discourse is focusing on what Christ is saying to them. And what he's saying to them through the scripture reveals to us the condition of these disciples' heart when he's told them, when he told them, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. Not only that, you can hear it's like, you know, it's like a father who's going off to war and, you know, and got commissioned to leave. And he's talking to his children, his family. Guys, I'm leaving. Daddy got to go. And you can just hear everything he's saying is heartfelt. Because Jesus knows something that they don't know. And I want to navigate through this and just sort of pray that the Holy Spirit reveal to us what is it that Jesus knows that they're struggling with. When he keeps echoing over through chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, when he talk about this peace. So I want to tonight look at both joy and peace for troubled time. You know, um, we live in a social media world. There is nothing that ever can happen anywhere around the globe unless we see it. Every tragedy that has ever happened, natural disaster, it is interesting that at this moment in human history, there are people somewhere who's caught up in a natural and will videotape that and download that. And you're seeing the natural disaster as it happens. That's good, but it's also bad because with all of that information flooding at our, at our, in our eyes and all of that trouble we're seeing one after the other, we can become perplexed. Anybody know what I'm saying? Our hearts can be troubled. We can be wearied with all that stuff. And that's why sometimes I just really believe it's good to turn the TV off. I really do believe that. And balance out, you know, some of that stuff with the truth. Can you imagine if we had social media back in the 1930s and 40s? What shocked us when we went into Berlin wouldn't have shocked us. When they went to those concentration camps and saw the horror of what the Germans had done to these Jewish people. Even now as we speak, I've got several friends that live in Nigeria. And it's interesting that that nation is experiencing two radical situations. In southern Nigeria, there's an incredible revival that has taken place. And people are getting saved all over the place. But in northern Nigeria, you've got Boko Haram that is just murdering hundreds of thousands of people in that same nation. And what is interesting is all this stuff literally is being videotaped and put it on social media. And you can see this. And sometimes if you're not careful, you will ask yourself, Lord, have you just abandoned humanity? Have you forgotten us? And I think this is where the disciples are in their heart because Jesus is giving him, giving them information about his last and final hour. And let's take a look at John chapter 14, and we're going to finish out the last six verses, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 14, verse 25 through 31. Let's take a look at it. It says, these things, Jesus said, 
I have spoken to you while I am with you or still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you might believe. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Wow. Those are some powerful words. You know, when one of the things that they, they, they talk about when you, you know, before you pass on, you have to give, get a living will or something to prepare people for what needs to be done before you pass on. And most of us don't even like talking about that. That's just not something we, we like talking about. But it, it be, sometimes it becomes a necessity to make sure that your family has everything in place. And what you see here is Jesus putting some things in place. But the interesting part about his departure is in one segment of the chapter, he's, of the verse, he says, I've told you I'm leaving. But he just didn't stop. There. He says, but I'm coming back again. I'm coming again. And the reason why I'm coming again, so that you will believe everything that I told you. So we want to take a look at the disciples is getting ready to hit some very interesting times. And Jesus is getting ready to face some troubled times. But what is interesting in this is that there was a joy and a peace that can come in the midst of troubled times. And I know most of us have been in some situations where it wasn't very joyous and you had no peace. So what is he saying to us in these passages of Scripture? What is Jesus echoing to us? What does he want us to know? What does he want the disciples to know about this time that he's getting ready to navigate into and what the disciples are getting ready to face? Number one... When he says you can rejoice, he says we can rejoice that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to teach us. Now, look at verse 25 and 26. When we talk about these troubled times. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, somebody say helper. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When you think about this, think about this. Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper. The word helper is the word, the Greek word paraclete or paracletus. Means one who runs alongside another. What Jesus truly understands is that the work that these disciples saw him do for three years, he knows that it's going, on his departure, it's going to be very difficult for them. He knows that naturally when they see, Jesus knows this, when they see what they have in the, in the future getting ready to do to Jesus, 
it's going to be an automatic thing for them to cut and run. Because think about it, for three years, Jesus was their teacher, their rabbi. They saw him do miracles that no man has ever done before. You got to put yourself in their shoes. These were common, ordinary men who lived common, ordinary lives. Nothing exciting about, you know, being a fisherman unless you are in a tournament and you win about $75,000 or $80,000. Mr. Gay said, yeah, brother, that's when fishing becomes interesting. And mama said, amen. So these guys lived very normal, ordinary money. And then all of a sudden, here comes this stranger, shows up literally in their lives and flipped their worlds upside down. (laughs) They were like, dude, this is awesome. Everywhere we go, people are talking about Jesus. And if they're talking about him, you know, they're talking about us. We're hanging out with him. What they didn't realize is that was a prophetic word that was spoken by the prophets that this Messiah would come and he would come for one reason and one reason only. And that is to redeem fallen humanity by his spilled blood. They didn't understand that. But Jesus also knew that because of his departure, the work must continue. What he started in them, with them, through them, he said this work must complete. Put the scripture back up, verse 25, 26. It says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance, all the things I have said to you. In their darkest hour when Jesus had been arrested, would be arrested. And now he's turned over to Caiaphas. Can you imagine what these guys are thinking now? What do we do at this point? Where do we go? For three years, all we've done was, all we've ever known was him. Is he really going to come back from the dead? Under, up under that kind of pressure, you can forget everything you've been taught. You know, as a, as a basketball coach, one of the things I try to do in my practice is create a lot of chaos for my players. I try to create situations and scenarios where literally they're, 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 they're pressure, full court pressure, half court pressure, traps in the corner, traps everywhere. Why? Because as a coach who have played high school basketball, played college, coached college, I know what's coming. So I have to prepare my team for what's coming. And each team is going to present a different challenge for my guys. That's why it's important for me as a coach to know who I'm playing and what their tendencies are. And so Jesus is saying, God, there's some things I need to get these guys ready for. Because up under pressure, sometimes my little 16, 17, and 18-year-olds will forget everything we ran for four days, get to Friday and forget everything we ran. Guys, why did we run this offense for four days? When you make the pass to the guard to guard, don't you go what? And they'll tell me in the locker room, screen down. Well, why did you not screen down? I don't know. That sounds like raising some of your children. Haven't I not told you? Why did you? I don't know. That sounds like some of your spouse. <laughs> Honey, did you not get the bread? Yeah. Why did you get it? I don't know. 
But here was the beauty of the, the, the beauty of the Holy Spirit. It says, after the day of Pentecost, the Spirit would give them understanding and cause them to remember Jesus' teaching. You and I have the apostolic testimony and understanding in the New Testament because the Holy Spirit finally came and would empower these men to live extraordinary lives. Supernatural, extraordinary lives. The Bible says in the latter part of Mark uh, that these men went about preaching Jesus Christ with signs following. They just didn't preach and didn't see anything. When they preached Christ, things happened. And the Holy Spirit came and reminded them of everything Jesus had taught them. The second thing I want you to see is that this means that we can have confidence that the New Testament is the inspired word of God. These men, yeah, I know what most people will say, the Bible is just like any other book because it's written by men, like any other book. There's no divine uh, essence about this book because it's written by men. But what they fail to understand, yes, it was written by men, but it was written by men who was under the influence and under the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see this. Watch this. In 2 Peter verse 1 through 6, uh, verse 16, 2 Peter 1, 16, this is what they said, the disciples. For we did not follow cleverly devised myth. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were witnesses of his majesty. He says, guys, we didn't try to manipulate this story. We didn't ask for third hand account of the story. Guys, when we wrote this thing, we saw it for ourselves. He affected our lives in such a way we have no reason to not write what we've seen and what we've heard. That's the difference between this book and all other books. Because this book is sure because of the testimony of those who wrote it. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired by God. Look at 2 Timothy, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, and you know this, all scripture, some of it, all scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's the key here? When the Holy Spirit reveals to these guys what Jesus taught and call it back to the remembrance, that's why they, Jesus was telling them that, you know, I'm going to, you need to be joyous that I'm leaving and seeing the Holy Spirit. Because, guys, what you don't know is what you don't know. And when he comes, you're going to know what you didn't know because you're going to know it when he comes. Advise <laughs> me to say that again. You're going to know it. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. So profound will be what they know. That in the face of an axe, they will lay their heads down and get it chopped off. So profound with what they will know by the Holy Spirit, they will stand in the face of those who are killing them and says, denounce Christ or die. And it says, we know what we know. So you know what? You might as well just kill us. These people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, had a resolve. I can't but speak. What I've seen 
And what I've heard, oh, to God, we would have that type of resolve in the face of trouble. Not when everything is good, but we can rejoice and dance and do the jig when everything's good. But what happens when your marriage starts to fail? Can you still trust what God has said? What happens when your child gets strung out on drugs? Can you still trust what God has said? Because your circumstances does not change God's faithfulness. Ooh, that sounds good to me. Doesn't change. And that's why he says all scripture is given by inspiration. It is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Here's the other thing we understand about the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood about the Holy Spirit and the guys didn't get it. The indwelling Holy Spirit will teach us the meaning of scriptures and will bring that meaning to our mind at the times when we most need it. Let me read it again. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit will teach us the meaning of scripture and will bring that meaning to our mind at the times when we most need it. There was a song called Jesus, You're the Center of My Joy. And I think it was written and sung by, what's his name? Gosh, I can't think of the name of the guy. And I had sung that song for years. I loved that song, sung it for years. And one Saturday morning, I was in Baton Rouge and got a phone call from my wife, Nadine. And uh, I was with the, I was the drug-free coordinator at Racing Junior High School, and we were at, um, Jimmy Swaggers Bible College. We had over 5,000 kids there, a drug-free program. I got a phone call that morning, Saturday morning. It was my wife calling from the emergency room, and she said the baby had died. We had a miscarriage. And for me, that did not make sense. I'm going to tell you why it didn't make sense. Because I had to try to reconcile everything I knew about God being good, being holy, being righteous, being protector, being all this stuff that as a child I remember being taught and songs that I've sang about his goodness and his power and his mercy and his healing and the sermons that I preach. And all of a sudden I'm faced with a scenario that don't make sense compared to what I know who God is. Can you imagine how my world got rocked in that one moment when I got that phone call? And after I told him I'm coming home, I hung the phone up and I heard Satan's voice so clear as you heard mine, as you're hearing mine today. Where is your God now? And I know it was him because I'd never heard a voice so dark and so sinister. Where is your God now? And I know what he was doing, Clyde. He was trying to get me to accuse God's character of not loving me and not caring that it was his fault that the baby died. And what one of the most amazing things about the Holy Spirit, and if you don't know this, there are some of you going to say, oh, yes, sir, because I've experienced it. One of the most amazing things about the Holy Spirit, in the midst of your trial, your darkest hour, he will cover you. He will protect you. He will, he will anchor you when you're, when you're on shaky ground, when nothing makes sense. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will keep you when nothing makes sense. He will make sense of the unsensible. I don't know if that's even a word, but it works for me. 
Anybody been in an unsensible situation that it didn't make sense? The Holy Spirit is a keeper. He is a helper. When your faith, when your strength fails you, he will give you a supernatural strength that will anchor you when nothing else makes sense. I'm supposed to be teaching. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He will teach you. And so here I am. I got home. We prayed. We cried. I told my dad I got to take off on Sunday. We did. I got back the next week. And I never forget. I don't know why I put that song on the, on, on, on the song list. But as I started playing it, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment. Hope for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. When I've lost my direction, you're the comfort for my way. You're the fire and light when nights are long and cold. In sadness, you are the laughter that shadows all my fear when I'm all alone. Your hand is there to hold. Oh, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment. Hope for all I do, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. And when I sang that, I stopped in the middle of the service and I got up from the keyboard. For the first time, the song made sense. He was the center of my joy. All that's good in prayer. He, he was the one where I find pleasure in the simple things of life. It made sense. Is there anybody in here have ever heard a song so many times, but it made sense when you needed it? Was there any scripture you ever read, but it didn't make sense until you needed it? Is there anybody here know what I'm talking about? It makes sense when you need it because the Holy Spirit will remind you that God remembers and he knows right where you are. Oh, God is so good. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit will teach us the meaning of the scripture and will bring the meaning to our minds at times when we most need it. First Corinthians, first Corinthians, let's look at it. First Corinthians 2, 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Look at that. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand. What does he do? He said he brings understanding the things freely given to us by God. Wow. Not that's the world given, not the spirit of the world. Here's the second thing we can rejoice in. Not only then we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to teach us, but we can rejoice and he wants them to understand, rejoice that Jesus has given us his peace for our troubled times. Whose peace has he's given us? His peace. His peace. Look at John chapter 14, verse 27. Look what it says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Wow. Jesus says, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What is he saying? Jesus said, I give you my peace. What kind of peace is that? Think about this, what Jesus was getting ready to face. And he faced it courageously. He said, I'm going. Let's go. In the, in, in, in the middle of that storm, he's in the boat sleeping. That's peace. I've been in a boat, Clyde, when the storms came. I don't have no peace. Not till you get me back to the dock. We going forward, but I'm looking back and see how fast we, this storm is catching up on us. I don't know how many of you guys have ever driven through a storm. We went and dropped my baby off, our baby off last year as a freshman at Oral Roberts. And we came back and Nate was driving and Nadine was in the back seat and she just decided she's going to take her a nap. <laughs> And let me tell you something, we hit a stretch of storms that you couldn't even see right in front of the, the, the vehicle. And I told Nate, I said, Nate, just keep going, buddy. Somewhere that's going to be a breaking of day. Just keep on. Don't stop. So many people just want to stop in the middle of the storm. Pull no, I'm not trying to stop. I'm trying to get through this thing. And it seems like it's never going to end. You just keep trying to just more rain and more rain. You're like, oh, my goodness. But Jesus said, I give you my peace. What is Jesus' peace? One, Jesus' peace is not the peace, he says, that the world gives. So he gives a comparison. The world gives you a certain peace, but I'm giving you mine. Look at this. The world seeks peace through things like exercise, counseling, false religions, prescription drugs, illegal drugs, alcohol, and other means. They look, that's what they look for to find peace. The problem with that is that stuff is only temporary. It's only temporary. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you my peace. What does his peace look like? Number two, it says, Jesus's peace is the inner calm and freedom from anxiety that comes from trusting in the sovereign God and knowing that you are obedient to him. Let me read it again because there are some things I want you to just jump on. What is this Jesus peace? Jesus' peace is the inner calm. Somebody say inner calm. And freedom from anxiety that comes from trusting in the sovereign God and knowing that you are obedient to him. Guess what? He says the peace I'm going to give you is not a peace that changes the outside. He said my peace is sometimes will not even change what's on the outside. My peace is designed to change what's on the inside. My peace sometimes does not affect your circumstances. My peace is designed to affect you while you're in your circumstance. Sometimes you can be living in such the peace of God that even your spouse in the middle of a situation like, don't you care? I do, but you're not all out of control. I tried that. If being out of control could change it, let's just jump off the roof and do cart flips and throw stuff. But it's not going to change anything. There is a peace that is found in God, in Christ, that when all hell is breaking loose, 
you can look at it and say, hmm, I know what you're trying to do. But I've already anchored my emotions, my soulless realm in the promises of God. He says, Jesus said this peace is an inner calm and a freedom from anxiety that comes from trusting the sovereign God and knowing that you are obedient to him. The word that that is used often in the Middle East is the word shalom. Peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which refers to the general well-being or contentedness, which comes from God. The word shalom is a a greeting or departure when in the Middle East people say, we're leaving. Well, shalom, they would bid you a state of peace. Because sometimes God says, I will allow you to be in something to reveal the shalom I have in you. You will never know the shalom of God until you something has to tap and expose the shalom of God. <laughs> I promise you, get up under some weights. That is going to expose you and see how strong or weak you are. I believe every circumstance we face reveals what's on the inside of us. It is for the perfecting of us. It is for the perfecting of our faith. It's for the the refining of our walk in Christ. One of the things you need to understand about Christ, he, he always obligates himself to move you from faith to faith and from glory to glory. God will never leave you like he found you unless you're comfortable being there. He said, if you don't want more, I'm fine. I said, you good with that. But I'm telling you not, you're not going to be happy. I'm sitting up here starving, Clyde, and I'm eating a piece of bread with butter, and there's a big old steak sitting over there. And I'm seeing this steak. Man, it starts bubbling, the juice running off there. you got a big old baked potato, and I'm sitting there gnawing on a piece of bread with some butter. Do you know how frustrated I could be, a man my size could be with that situation? Man, the Holy Spirit says, just move yourself to the other end of the table, get you a fork and a knife and go to work. We're sitting up here spiritually eating off of bread and God has put a steak in front of us. Okay, I'm going to say, because some of y'all are ready to go to Chick-fil-A tonight. Peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which refers to the general well-being or contentedness which comes from God. Paul says, I have been, I've had and I've lost and I've been want and been in lack. But he says, in all these things, I found a state of contentedness in Christ Jesus. But I want you to see this. This peace that Jesus gives is a three-dimensional peace. I love three-dimensional stuff. That virtual reality, I love that stuff. Here's the first dimension. The peace that we need to understand that Christ has given us is a peace with God. Somebody say with God. Because Christ bore the penalty for our sins on the cross, we have peace with God. We are no longer enemies. We have peace with God. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have been what? Justified, declared not guilty, declared innocent. How? By faith. We have peace. How? 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, there it is, in hope of the glory of God. What do we rejoice in? That we're no longer enemies to God, but we have peace with God. It was our sin that separated us. He never moved, we did. It was our sin that made us enemies to God. While he was still loving us, we were in We never looked this way. But because we are now justified by faith, we have peace with God. And what does the enemy want to do in that first dimension? Rob you of your peace and try to get you to believe that you have done so many things that God cannot love you and cannot save you and that God cannot use you. That is a lie from hell itself. The Bible says that he, we are justified by faith and because of it, we now have Peace with God. We have peace with God. Here's the second dimension. Not only do we have peace with God, but we also can enjoy the peace of God. I love this. First one I love. This, one's, this is where you really get to see him. We have the peace of God in the midst of life's difficult times. Now, even though Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to give you my peace, Here's what I want you to understand. Those are precious promises that are given to us, but they're not automatic. I know what you're about to say. Yes, they are. No, they're not. You know why they're not automatic? Simply because we have to appropriate the promises. It don't make sense for your wife to cook a good meal, and you sit there at the other end of the, the, the room, and you smell it, and you're like, baby, that's a good meal. Girl, you just, you stuck your foot in that gumbo. Oh, that smells so good. Well, you know what? Since you didn't say that, why don't you go and appropriate the meal and walk across there and go do something? <laughs> he says, I've given you these promises, but I want you to appropriate them. I've given you my peace. And in the midst of what you're dealing with, he says, just activate it. Just activate it. Obtaining this peace is not automatic or effortless. The peace that Jesus gives is not detachment or indifference from life's problems. What is he saying? He says, when I promise you my peace, I never said you wasn't going to have trouble. Jesus said, when I gave you my peace, I never told you that everything was going to go okay. When I gave you my peace, I didn't tell you that it was going to be all sunshine, butterflies, Oreo cookies and milk. What he told us was, I'm going to give you my peace. And whatever comes in your life, you can appropriate that while you're dealing with it. Amen. Look at, uh, in John chapter 12, verse 27, we see Jesus himself was not exempt from earthly trouble. Jesus himself was not exempt from problems. Look what it says in John chapter 12, verse 27. He says, now my soul is what? Now, first of all, let me stop right there. The word soul here, that is the the, the part of us where our mind, our will, our intellect, our passion, the seed, that's, that's where that is. And Jesus said, my soul, the seed of my passion and my desire and my will, because his will was to do the will of the Father, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father? Save me from this hour because my soul is troubled. Should I just say, just remove it, remove me? No, (laughs) 
Look what he says. Oh, this is so powerful. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He said, it was, it is this trouble that is vexing my soul that has allowed me to step center stage and show why I came. It is this, this trouble, this vexing of my soul has revealed my purpose for coming in the earth. He said, I came for this reason. Should I ask the father? Look, he says, should, what should I ask for, father? Should I say, save me from it? Take it away from me? Jesus said, no, 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 no. Matter of fact, it is for this hour I came to fulfill the restoration, the salvation, and the redemption of all humanity. What did Jesus do in the hour that his soul was troubled? What should we do when our souls are troubled? Sometimes he will not obligate himself to move it. He will obligate himself to move you. If you, Lord, here's your prayer. If you can't change the it that I see, help me to change how I see it. But why? Because God says, I want glory out of what you are getting going through. Because when you go through it, you will come on the other end of it, Nadine, and look back and like, Lord, it was good for me to be afflicted. You'd never say that while you were in it. <laughs> there ain't a woman in the world carrying a baby and coming to the end of that trimester. It's like, Lord, it is so good for me to have this pain. When them things, when them pains are hitting. I still got the mark when my wife grabbed me on the way to the hospital. That pain was hitting her, boy, and she grabbed me. She's like, hold on, girl. Oh, she held on. But what I as a man don't understand, I, ladies, I'm sorry. I've been, in, I've been in the delivery room with all three of my kids. Here's what I'll never understand. As soon as you have it, it's over. And then somewhere down the road, you say, I want another. What? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I saw what you went through. And you want to do that again? As a man, we don't get it. I, I just got to admit it. Brothers, we'll never get it. Right, guys? We just go with it. Okay, mama, you want another one? Okay, I'm going to put you on this arm. <laughs> I tell people all the time, if God made a man to, to have babies, this pop, the earth would be underpopulated. Because, boy, we're we going to do this one time and we ain't doing this no more. And let the brother say amen. I'm almost finished. Wow. We not only enjoy the peace of God, we enjoy the peace, we enjoy peace with God, and we enjoy the peace of God because it is his promise. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world give it, Give, do I give to you? And then he says, watch this. When I give you this, this peace, here is my command. Listen to it. Here's what he tells you. When you get my peace, let not your heart be troubled. And let them not be afraid. He says, when I give you my peace, you won't be troubled by what you see. 
and you won't be afraid as if you can't make it. (laughs) Am I speaking to anyone tonight? When you have the peace of God, he says, don't be troubled and don't be afraid. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have peace with other people. Now, let me just stop right there and navigate and say this before I even go any further. Do you know this one is probably the most difficult? Do you know that? Peace with people. Anybody in here ever had someone to find? You tried your best to cover it up. You try to disguise it. You do a great job of not letting it, exposing it. But for some reason, that one person you work with, that one family, always find that last nerve. They know where it is. They know exactly where it is. And not only do they, brother got two hands up back there. (laughs) Not only do they find it, they continually stepping and leaning on it. And then they remind you, you go to living word, don't you? You love Jesus, don't you? You a holy woman, aren't you? Yeah, but you, you're testing it. The peace, peace with people is one of the dimensions that God has given us because once you have the peace of God, peace with God, then God says, what I've done in and through you with me, I want you to have this peace with people. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He said, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Wow. Look what he says. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is he saying? In the temple, there was a place uh, that the Jewish people built a wall. On one side of the wall, the Gentiles can go, but they couldn't go any further than that. The Jew says, this is where you stop. And that wall divided both the Jews and the Gentiles. But Jesus comes along and said, because of what I've done in the flesh, I have broken down that wall. I have literally not only broken down the wall, so now you can call a brother who don't look like you, who don't live where you live, dressed like you live, and then yet love Jesus. You can call him your brother. The world's still trying to figure out how to do this race thing. They will never get it right. They've tried. I've got to give it to them. But in Christ, I love what it's in Christ. He has torn down the wall of petition that divided us and separated us. But he did it in his flesh. He did what no governmental authority, no document could ever do. He says, it is what I've done in my flesh. I've reconciled because we have been reconciled to Christ. He says, now you go reconcile your brother. Even the brother from another mother. For he himself broke down the wall of hostility in his flesh. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible. (laughs) I love that verse because he starts off crying with if possible. Anybody have said if possible? (laughs) He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, do what? Do what? If possible. Some people, you just may have to just move. I'm just being honest with you. Or you have to just, if you spend all that money, some people, you just got to pray to them to move. Lord Jesus, move them. 
And they don't look like they're going anywhere because they just buying and adding more stuff. And that's when you really got to get spirit. Lord Jesus, you know my neighbor. Do you know they get on my last nerve? But Jesus, hear my cry, hear my prayer, move them out of my neighborhood. Jesus, hallelujah, thank you. You heard your humble servant. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> you know what's crazy? The Lord says, oh, but what you don't understand, I, I had them to move next to you because they need to expose who you really was. I put them there for you. <laughs> Y'all won't ever hear that one again. <laughs> if possible, so be, so far as it depends on you, be peaceably at all. Now, I'm going to close with this. Three things. How can I get Christ's peace when I need it? Number one, to have Christ's peace in troubled times, we need to walk in the spirit and ask him to teach us his word. What is walking in the spirit? Walking according to the word. He says, your word is spirit and it is life. It, walking. But when I was a kid growing up Pentecost, I used to thought walking in the spirit was just walking around, just speaking in tongues. If you do that, I promise you, I'm telling you, you do that in the mall, I'm running. I'm just, I don't even know you. I'm telling you now. <laughs> Walking in the Spirit is living constantly by the Word of God. And when you walk according to God's word, you're walking in the spirit because the spirit will speak what the word says and remind you what the words. And when you activate it in your life, you're walking in the spirit. So that's how you 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 have the peace of Christ. You walk according to the word and he will remind you and teach you his word. Number two, the second way you can get this peace. To have Christ's peace in troubled times, make sure that you are doing God's will. John chapter 14, verse 31, the very last verse in that chapter, it says, whoever has my, has, has my commandment and keeps them, he, it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Wow, there it is. He says, in order to have the peace of God, Make sure you're doing the will of God because what comes with the will of God is the peace of God. Lord, I've done everything. I love Hezekiah, the story of Hezekiah. I think it's Hezekiah. When he turned his face to the wall, I think it was. The man came to him and said, Hezekiah, put your house in order, buddy. You're getting ready to check out. The prophet, told me, the, 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 the man of God went and told him, put your house in order. And he left. And all of a sudden, before he can leave, Hezekiah went, whoa, 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 whoa. Hezekiah turned his face away. He said, Lord, have I not been faithful? Lord, have I not done everything you told me to do? Lord, have I not exalted your name? He began to declare who God was. And before the, 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 the man of God leave, hold up, man, hold up. That man came back and said, Hezekiah, I got another word for you, man. You ain't going to die. You're going to stick around a while. He reminded God of who he was and how faithful he has been to God. And God said, you know what? Not that I didn't know, but now that you have reminded me, not that I didn't know. Hey, let's just give you boy, give this boy an extension. Sometimes when you're going through troubles, Father, I thank you. By your precious blood, you have saved me. 
you, Lord God, I have died to myself. And Lord, I thank you that you didn't have to do this, but I thank you because you have changed me from the inside out. And I will not doubt. I will not fear because your promises are true. I will not make accusations against your character. I will worship you out of, out of my pain. Father, I will love you. Lord God, it's the last strength that I have. And Lord, I just thank you. For all that you've done. And when you start declaring that, all of a sudden, that thing gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You're like, wait a minute. Where is this? It's gone. Because you have exalted Christ and not your circumstances. And three, to have the peace in troubled times, take your anxieties to the Lord in thankful prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this. As I close, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by and with, let your quest be known, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to see this. He says, how can I have this peace of Christ? Because he says, take your anxieties to the Lord and be thankful in prayer. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But he says, now here's the key. But in everything, by what? And what? With what? When I go to God, I don't go to God, Lord, you know I've been struggling with this. You know I've been struggling with that. You see my wife been struggling with that. He says, no, 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 no. He says, how do, I, how do I get this peace when I, and not be anxious? He says, when I go to God in prayer and supplication, I go with what? I go with what? He wants you to go with God to what? With what? Thanksgiving. Let your quest be known. And watch this. Here's what happens when your prayer consists of the ingredients of thanksgiving. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Which means I'm not supposed to have this kind of peace when I'm going through. I'm not supposed to be able to lay down and sleep like I'm sleeping. That's that surpassing understanding. And here's what it do. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What's the picture there? The picture there is like, like a sentry guard at the post at, down in London. Those guys stand with, as a, at, at the gate and they don't move. He says, when you have the peace of God and you focus with thanksgiving in your prayer, he said, the peace of God will stand at the door of your heart and guard your heart from trouble. And it says, you can't come in because they thank me too much for what they already have. And you can't get in. Stand to your feet. Our precious Father, we thank you. I pray that the word of God comes alive in us. That when we come to you, we come with a spirit of thanksgiving. I thank you that we have peace with God, the peace of God and peace with others. Because you have redeemed us. You have bought us with a price. And in the midst of the trouble, we can acknowledge that you have our back and you have anchored us. I pray that as we leave this place, you will guard, guide, and protect and get us safely home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God